0: Welcome to Supervision Simplified, the podcast that's here to rock your supervisory world. Our mission is simple yet powerful, to educate and elevate counselors, social workers, and psychologists, empowering them to serve their communities at the highest level of fidelity and service. I'm Dr. Amy Parks. I'm a child and teen psychologist, a group
1: practice owner, and a supervisor in Virginia. And I'm Valerie Harris, a trauma and attachment specialist, group practice owner, and a supervisor in Tennessee. Let's make it simple and dive right in. Welcome back, superstars, to another exciting episode. Exciting for us, at least. It is. I just need you to drop things every time. So it makes me laugh. Of Supervision Simplified. I am one of your hosts,
0: Dr. Amy Parks. I'm Valerie Harris. And today we have a special episode where we're going to peel back the curtain and share our personal journeys uh, that led us to become supervisors. So, but first of all, we want to thank you for being here with us today, because this certainly wouldn't be very much fun. Um, Certainly wouldn't be a vidcast without you seeing us and hearing us, a podcast without you hearing us. So thanks to our audience. Yes. So we're going to talk a little bit, Valerie, about like how we got to where we are in terms of supervisors. And um a little bit about you know our journeys to get here so do you want me to start yeah sure okay so what happened for me so I started out my career as a school psychologist and a school counselor in a local school system and worked there in alternative ed for a long long time and I realized working for the school system that there were a lot of things that I couldn't change or couldn't do anything about because uh kids are in a large system and there's just no way of um impacting that, or there was very little way of impacting that. And so um, in my career journey, I decided that uh, I wanted to go into private practice. Here's the interesting thing that I've never mentioned is that when I was a graduate student, um, nobody told me anything about becoming licensed as a clinician. Like I didn't know anything about that. So when I graduated, um, and I had this dual, like, certificate, dual licensure to work in schools. I didn't know anything about the licensure path because I had been in educational psychology. And so I didn't actually get licensed to become a clinician and a licensed professional counselor in Virginia until I had already been in the field for 20 years. And so I had to go back in order to get even to be uh, authorized to be, receive supervision I had to go back to my university and I had to pull transcripts and I had to pull all my paperwork from my university to defend my degree and ended up having to go like to the board and say, um, you know, what I had studied and all of that kind of stuff in order to get authorized. So my professors at that point were like dead and I didn't have any, (laughs) you know, it's hard to find all the materials. So one note to self, um, when you graduate, keep a hold of your transcripts because your state might ask for details of your courses because different universities named them different things and but... your syllabus all the syllabus oh that's what i meant your syllabi your syllabi uh, not your... yeah i meant your syllabi yeah, yeah hold on to your syllabi because again we just don't know um what that is going to mean down the down the line so i graduated from my program i worked for schools for about 20 years and then i realized that i didn't want to stay in that system anymore and so I got out of that and started a private practice working with children and teens because that's always been my um, my favorite thing. And um, my doctorate is in developmental neuroscience so and educational psychology. So I did a lot of testing. I have uh, a real passion for the brain, as does Valerie. And I realized that I couldn't see all the people that wanted to see me. So I decided to bring people on into my group practice. So I started a group practice and i've run a group practice called the wise family for now um about 12 years and I, in that practice we see children, teens and families so along that way along that sort of career path i realized that um i really enjoyed supervision and i really enjoyed the role of being a leader so i've been a supervi- supervisor for about 10 years now and uh, i started the clinical supervision directory which we can talk about now or we can talk about in the future, but uh, I started the, the clinical supervision directory because I wanted to simplify the process of finding supervisors, because mine back in the day was pretty hard. Uh, and then I also had that experience, remember, of of having to go find the transcripts or su- syllabi from the dead professors. So it was a kind of, there was some trauma. <laughs> In my early, in my early licensure days, uh, and so I wanted to help people avoid that, and that was a big, you know, a big part of things. So um, that's really kind of how I got to where I am in terms of um, supervising and in terms of my work. My clinical expertise is really in brain science and development, and uh, in Parenting and children and teens. So, actually I actually have four kids of my own, and they range in age from 23 to 30. So, uh, they all are, are great and yet um, have been challenging, just like any other kids. Mm-hmm. And so, I've been able to bring that to my work as well as my parenting experience. So, all those things kind of together. Uh, and, you know, sometimes the supervisor feels a little bit like being a parent, um, Is not the role of the parent, it's very much supposed to be designed as a consultant teacher, mentor, uh, sometimes a counselor. But in general, um, it's supposed to be a person to guide your professional career, not a parent, but, but occasionally you get those, uh, those feelings sneak in a little bit because you feel kind of possessive and uh, protective, rather, of your supervisees, the people that you're working with. So I've definitely enjoyed that along the, along the way. But um, I also really am grateful for the supervision that I had. So not everybody has great supervision, um, I had a terrific supervisor. She she was amazing. And, um, you know, I learned a lot from her. There's a lot that I still continued to learn and still continue to learn today. Some things that she did, I didn't like so much. Um, and I don't do those uh, things. It doesn't mean they were wrong. They just didn't align with me. And um, some things she was really amazing at, and I have continued in my own career. So um, that's been pretty exciting. So a lot of people have supported me and guided me along the way, and, and my supervisor was one of them. And now in my career, now working, I don't, I do provide a lot of supervision, but I also work with a lot and get consultation and supervision from a lot of colleagues. And so one of the main criteria for my professional growth is to have people in my, network and circle of people that I can talk to and get support from and supervise individual cases and situations that I may come across that I need to talk through with somebody. So that's kind of that's where I came from.
1: So where did I come from? My undergrad is in social work, bachelor's in social work, which I'm highly grateful for. Um, it taught me a lot of systems theory. I felt like I when I when I hit grad school I felt as though I already knew how to do so much in the way of like treatment planning and um notes things that I take for granted when we get grad students coming out now that still struggle with those things I often forget I learned that in my undergrad because in social work you have to have an internship there so I had 400 hours um in a treatment center um, that a drug and alcohol treatment center and an adolescent unit. I also went on to work for that treatment center and then did my graduate internship at that treatment center in a different department than what I worked in. So I had three supervisors along the way who were excellent supervisors in very different ways. Um, two of them were LPCs. One of them was in LCSW. And I had worked after a treatment center, worked in a psych hospital. Um, Then I worked as an MFLAC with the military in a school system, very much like Amy realized that the way I like to describe it is I felt like I had a crayon box of 64 crayons, but the DOD kept coming to me and taking all of them and giving them back, giving me back eight and saying, you can only play with these. And I'm like, but I have this whole box over here. And they're like, no, 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 no. Short-term solution focused counseling only. And I'm like, but they have attachment issues and trauma. And they're like, but no, the OSD has to approve that. And I was like, I'm not playing. (laughs) Like, I'm going to go do this in private practice. So that's what led me into private practice. Um, I could not serve the amount of people that I wanted to. What I learned very quickly is that I did not know enough about trauma, and so I sought robust training, lots of consultation, um, spent lots of money to get there, and realized even then that people were staying longer than I anticipated, and they were coming by the droves to come to get in. And I didn't have anywhere to refer them. Most of the places I could have referred them were already full, and so as a, as a girl who's, um, who runs with Jesus, I was like, I mean, in the Bible, Jesus multiplied. So I'm just going to use this principle of multiplication. So I thought if I just get some students, I love to teach, but I did not love grading papers. And I had taught before, did not love grading papers. It was, did not, but I absolutely love teaching. And so the idea was Just multiplication. Like, let me take students. Let's see how this works. I also didn't know anything about hiring people. Thought that would be a little risky to just hire somebody if you didn't even know if you like them yet. Like, that's weird for me. It was weird. So, um, I'm very relational. So, I ended up with an intern and I was like, let's see how this goes. And it went really well. And I was like, I don't know if I'm actually going to keep her. We'll just see how this goes. Within like two weeks, I'm like, I can't let her go if she wants to stay because she's amazing and I love doing this work. Um like you said there were things about from a supervision standpoint there were things that my supervisors did that I don't do but I now know that there were times I tried to do those things yeah. probably from an impostory place like as a therapist not necessarily as a supervisor um but I think that I once you understand and learn what those things look like on you, you're able to take the things that supervision has given you or other educators. And you you actually learn or I've learned that I am led better by people who have different skills than me and have different strengths and they're complementary to mine. And so it would make sense that I won't look like them, but I might be a better version of me because of the parts of me they awakened in that process and that's what I feel like they contributed. I was always this big ball of energy that went went went, but I am now more a more mindful ball of energy and I can channel some of that creativity and those ideas in a way that gets traction versus a way that just goes on this endless path that leads to nowhere.
0: That is such I'm um, so I have to interrupt you because it's such a powerful statement, the idea that these people that were your supervisors really shaped you in ways that you didn't anticipate you needed to be shaped and now you are seeing looking back um that even if you had resistance at the time which you may or may not have had like you see how they saw um you know the future of valerie and how you could be as a clinician and that is like that is one of the key um qualities and skill sets of a a good supervisor is to be able to have a vision for you that maybe you don't even see yet and hold that so like i often say like i believe in you even when you don't believe in yourself because the idea is like i'm holding a vision for you and i can see this for you so i can get a future cast this idea for you and um that's exactly what happened to you which is so it is
1: and here's something i think is cool from a replicate, like a replication standpoint so, when I've had students that I'm supervising who are more like me, we can get more gridlocked in certain ways, and our personalities were so similar at times that we can just be so likable together that we cannot do what we're we can just get like almost in the same thinking patterns and so in those situations, I can lean to other consultants or even think of my past supervisors and think of ways they, in in, and think of how they may present in these situations and embody that. And then the other replication of that is when supervisees bring things to you that are so new and complex that you didn't experience in your own supervision. And you may not have a resource yet because we don't have a lot of like community between supervisors. And so they actually refine and bring out parts of you because they believe in you. And so these students and or, you know, pre-licensed professionals or temp licensed, they're trusting you with this information and these parts of their journey because they trust in you and who you are as a clinician. And they bring these things to you with such vulnerability that you dig deep and then it awakens these parts of you as a leader that you didn't even know were there. And so it's kind of like, how Yalom talks about the gift that your clients give you, your supervisees give you such a gift. Um, and it's, it's such a beautiful relational dance. I feel like Sue Johnson would really love to study this, but we don't all go to the bar. So I don't know if she could, because that's where she studied relationships. But she's welcome to my practice, if anyone knows her, to study our supervisory relationships. Yeah, that's
0: a really, that would be a really exciting um, thing to look at. And, and I, you're putting out, I think, another part of supervision that I think is really inspiring. And that is the idea that um, somebody can really um, connect with you in a way that brings out your vulnerability, but also like inspires you to be a better you. So I think that that can be really, really exciting too. So when you, we should probably just be asking each other questions uh, and, and about what, what your experiences were. Cause I don't even know all the answers to this, but so like, when did you, do you remember your first supervisee? Who
1: was your first person you supervised? Do you remember? Uh, she is now, she was my first intern and she is now the assistant clinical director of my office. Interesting. So,
0: so interesting and too. here's a
1: funny thing about her cause she will let me share this. I know she will. So I really learned in my own supervision process that there were times where we met for an hour. There were other times where because I was getting on the fly supervision, you can create 15 minutes here, 15 minutes here within a week's time of case consultation that adds up to an hour of supervision, you know. So she was in her practicum and did not have clients yet and was observing, but she's a, she is a very solid Enneagram one with a high six. And she was like, oh, no, but the rules say, so we have to meet for that hour. So we would meet every time for that hour. But what I also realized during that time is there's a lot of things that would come up that maybe either what I think I realized the most, which it'd be interesting to ask her is, this would now knowing her the way I do, I think this was better for her process. I think there are times where people like myself can do an on the fly where you're doing multiple case consults on things collectively, and you can add that up to an hour. And then other times you need to sit down because you're still face to face either way. And you're still talking about cases. But she is her process is different from mine. And so she wanted to be able to take those notes to kind of collect all the things she wanted to come with and that worked better for her. And so her even advocating for that, I would always tease it's because it's the rules. But now in hindsight, I know that it was what she needed and that best suited her for where she was developmentally. So I think that it's interesting how we think it can look one way based on how it looked for us. And then even that kind of changes, but I wanted to comment on what you said about having to prove your degree. So Mm -hmm. my master's degree um, is a master's in professional counseling from Argosy University. When I started, it was the Georgia Professional School of Psychology. So I had taken several of my courses, probably the first four, from Atlanta and in Atlanta at times. But then they merged with Argosy. And then Argosy became a Nashville had a satellite campus and that's where the degree was commenced. We were told we would be they were going through K Crep accreditation and that our class would be the first one to be a K Crep accredited class. It was not the first one. I think it was the one after hours or maybe it was the first one. I did double up on classes and graduate a semester early. So Maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't on me, but either way, um, maybe I'm the one that messed it up, but either way at that, when I went into private practice at first, I started taking certain insurances and there, all the language was all updated to KCREP, KCREP. And I was like, oh no, I may not be able to get panelled with some of these because it's not KCREP. So I had to send in all the things that, where they were accredited, the different bodies they were accredited. I think TRICARE took like nine months to get, to get certified through them because of that. Um, and they needed to see all those courses and that they fit the K-CREP standard. So, um, and when I was in grad school, because Tennessee has such rigorous requirements, we had people coming from other states who were in my classes who had been in private practice running their own practice for 5 or more years but they were moving to Tennessee and could not get licensed because they didn't have enough credit hours. Mm-hmm. All the things they just don't tell you.
0: Right. Well, there's a lot. I mean and you know we'll talk in the future in future episodes about all the things that, you know, your supervisor needs to know. But supervisors, you know, need to be really well resourced because there's a lot that you don't learn in graduate school. And as an early career supervisee, there's a lot you don't know about this world and this language. And, and each individual state has different laws and different requirements as this clinical supervision directory well knows. And so um, it's become very complicated to be licensed in this field. And it's, really unfortunate because it's keeping people, it's a real, the complications that are part of the system, sort of what we both experienced when we worked in schools, the complications that are part of the system are 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 now really harming to some extent the people that are coming into the field, which then by the nature of our work harms the community because we can't, we're not ready. Or the loopholes. Yeah, the loopholes. And yeah, what? the loopholes are, are are problematic too, which we'll talk about. But not having enough career-ready uh, counselors who have been well-trained by professional supervisors on the on the ground should be what keeps every national association and every university in the U.S. up at night. Agre- Agreed. Um, and
1: well-trained supervisors.
0: Well, right. So well-trained supervisors is the answer to the nightmares, right? So if you have well-trained supervisors that are at the ready, then you've got people who can get them on the ground quickly. but if you don't have if you're not even paying attention to the systems that are that are keeping people apart or keeping people from reaching those well-trained supervisors um, or making supervision training so difficult to find and challenging to get, uh, then you're not know,
1: pairing a super like supervisors with supervisors for a certain period of time, a seasoned supervisor with a new supervisor. like why would we do that with a student? who's becoming a clinician, but we don't do that with a new supervisor. Just because right. you have five years of experience Tennessee treating clients, you're now ready to supervise. I, right. I, I object. Right. I object. I had way more to learn and had to take way more than 12 hours and do spend way more in consulting to get where I am now versus where I started. And so- yeah, interesting.
0: So in Virginia, you have 20 hours of supervision training. So to become a supervisor, and then there's no- requirement to keep those 20 hours current um so we once do have to keep
1: some we do have to keep some current we have to have to do
0: our licensure stuff but not the supervision stuff but many feel social work in a lot of states for example just allows you to be working in the field for a couple of years and then you can become a supervisor so by nature of that sort of um system it says basically if you are a clinician um and you've been working in the field for a certain period of time no matter where the setting is. By nature, then you are automatically qualified to be a supervisor. And so that's negating the resourcing, the leadership, the the ethics and legal staff, start parts of all of that kind of thing. The changes
1: the to the field. The what? All the changes to the field.
0: Oh, so yeah. So well, I default
1: to thinking, I forget where I learned the things that I learned. And to be honest, I learned in grad school. Grad school told me exactly how many hours, what it would take. So when I have students in front of me, they don't know this, I'm confused. Oh, tons of schools don't do any of that Because I thought that all of that came yeah. part of the... So it's things yeah, like right. that, where having a pairing with another supervisor, they would tell you, just like you tell me, oh, no, that does not happen a lot. I've been doing this a long right. time. And then I would go, oh, I need to really step up there then. Yeah. So that's where that resourcing part comes in. So there
0: are just a lot of parts of it. And as we um, explore more uh, things in our supervision, um, VidCast here, Supervision Simplified, we're going to be talking about exactly that. Um, Drawing from our own experience, but also talking about what are some of the pitfalls that people experience when they are in supervision or are supervisors? And what are some of the things that we recommend, certainly uh, as best practices in supervision, and um what are some things that are maybe maybe somewhat problematic that maybe at the grassroots level we're gonna have to work on, you know, looking at and helping to get changed.
1: Anything else you want to add for today? I don't think so. Other than to say if you have questions about anything we've said or you want more information, um like hit us up for that. Because we yeah. I I am a strong eye on the disc. So I am interactive and love like the live feedback where i just love getting lots of interaction around whatever project i'm doing um it excites me for it that much more and it just gets all my creative juices flowing so feel free don't don't get imposter syndrome around a comment and go i don't know if i should just type it and send it right
0: we don't know yet how to do things like show notes and all of the questions you can ask and things like that, but we're going to figure that out. It's coming. So, but if you want to connect with us, you can certainly hit us up on social media. We're both on all the social media channels and uh, we'll be in our own groups, uh, Educate and Elevate, which is Valerie's group. The clinical supervision directory is mine. We're both, again, on social media. You can jump in any of those anytime that you want to. We'd love to have you. And in the meantime, we're going to figure out how to do all the things as part of our cast here. So you're going to be able to connect with us dire- directly through that. So That concludes our episode on our journey, at least uh, the beginning of our journeys to becoming supervisors. And we really hope that you enjoyed our kind of intimate picture, at least a little bit of our background and finding out about what we've been doing. And so we want to thank you for tuning in. We want to invite you to connect with us. And we appreciate you being part of Supervision Simplify. So remember that the revolution starts here. We're starting a revolution in supervision. And until next time, keep simplifying and elevating your supervision game. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Supervision Simplified. Remember, the revolution starts here. We hope you'll subscribe and that you'll share it with your friends and colleagues. We also want your comments, stories, and feedback, so we can be sure to be talking about what interests you the most. Until next time, keep on simplifying and elevating your supervision game.